I'd like you to turn to Leviticus chapter 19. You just open that portion. We've entitled the message this morning, Mark in Your Temple. Mark in Your Temple. Let's just unite our heart together as we come to the preaching of God's Word, please. Father in heaven, we do thank Thee again for Thy presence. We thank the Lord for the singing of this, these hymns and, and psalms. And, O oh God, we, Lord, desire that Thou would even write the truth on our heart. And we thank Thee for the reading of Thy Word. And we pray that Thou might bring us into this little subject. Thou might give us understanding. Thou might <coughs> instruct us. And, O oh God, that, Lord, that Thou might move amongst us even this morning by the power of Thy Spirit. We know it's not by might nor by power. It's with my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And, O oh God, we beckon thee, we petition thee, that thou would be one of our number. Thou would give help in the pulpit. But, Lord, thou would also give help in the pew. Lord, to that end, fill us with thy spirit and with power. Give us, Lord, words from thyself that must and shall prevail. Realize, Lord, it's a wee word that will apply to the children, the young people, just as much as the adult. And, O oh God, give that listening ear. Give that receptive heart. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The preacher states, there is no new thing under the sun. And how true a word that really is. You know, some may wrongly think that we never had such a wicked day and generation as that which God's people have to live in in this present age. Men and women, young people, we have to just challenge that by saying we're not living in the day of the reformers when the word of God was a hidden book and where there were those men who were burned at the stake for adhering to those scriptures and who wouldn't recant their faith in God. We're not in those days. But what is true is that the same sins that were present in those generations are also known today. And in order to arrive at the cause, then we've got to go back to the heart of man. Because the heart of man, we read in the the Word of God, is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? What is missing for the most part are God's people having a desire to live holy lives. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Very few seem to read that, and even fewer seem to have a desire to fulfill this precept in any shape or form. There's a lack of holy living. And the ungodly do not see a holiness in our characters. What is more prevalent to be seen even in the evangelical uh, circles today is rather a conformity to this world. The same world that the Lord has saved us out of by His grace. And you know the same is true in the nation of Israel in the days of Moses. And what God desired of them when they crossed over into that land of their inheritance. We have parked our study for a time on the life of Moses. But that study would take us right to that point where they're about to cross over the Jordan and into Canaan. 
And God desired of them when they crossed over into Canaan that they would be a particular people. Isn't the same precepts found even in these chapters that I've directed you to? You look at Leviticus chapter 19, for example, verse 2. Speak unto the congregation of the children of Israel. Say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Look at chapter 20, verse 7. Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. And the call was for them to be holy, to be different from those nations that were round about them. Look at verse 26 of chapter 20. And ye shall be holy unto me, for I the Lord am holy, and have severed you from other people, that ye should be mine. He set them apart. They were a sanctified people in that respect. They were the people whom God had chosen unto himself. And so what we have in the preceding verses here are various laws that the people were expected to follow when they crossed over into that Canaan land. Some of them were reminders of the moral law that the Lord had already given to them on the mount. If you know, look at the words of verse 3 and 4 of chapter 19. It says, Ye shall fear every man his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Turn ye not unto idols, nor make to yourselves molten gods. I am the Lord your God. There's a repetition of the laws of the commandments as we know them today. Many of them were to exhort them to be considerate of others. And of their brethren. Look at the words of verse 9 and 10. And when ye reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field. Neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest. And thou shalt not glean thy vineyard. Neither shalt thou gather every uh, grape uh, of thy vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and stranger. I am the Lord your God. When they went to the harvest field, they weren't to go right to the end, to the corners. And that's why you understand when you come to the book of Ruth. That Ruth went to the field of Boaz as a visitor, as a stranger, and she was able to glean there. And Boaz told her to glean among even the reapers. They were to be considerate of the stranger. Verse 16. I shall not go up and down as a tailbearer among thy people, neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. These were moral issues. These were commands not to get involved. There were the commands also here not to get involved with the witchcraft of the heathen. And neither were they to show expressions of sorrow as the heathen did. And that addresses what I want to bring you to consider even this morning. What we might call in today's terminology, tattoos. Something that seems to have had a resurgence of late in this day and generation. But men and women, what saith the Scriptures? Marking your temple. I draw your attention to verse 28 as the basis of our text. Ye shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. 
Let me show you, first of all, the practice. It is important for us to understand something of the context in which we find these words. That means seeking to know what the practice of the heathen was in those days. It is generally accepted that what is spoken of in these words was something that was um, found among the various nations, including the Philistines, the Arabs, the Ethiopians, the Babylonians, the, the Moabites, and among others. They were well known for these hideous practices. But the purpose behind these practices of cutting oneself or of printing marks on their bodies was one of idolatry. Oftentimes they would have cut themselves as an expression of submission to the deities and the marks printed on their bodies were images of their gods. These marks were made by ink or by black lead and they were formed as a sign of allegiance to their false gods. And in the scriptures are illustrations of those who engaged in such activity. Maybe you didn't see it. You think of the prophets, for example, that were congregated upon Mount Carmel in the days of Elijah. You remember the challenge was, was put out. The God that answereth by fire, let him be God. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we have the passage. We know those who were assembled against Elijah, they were the false prophets. We know that they were those who worshipped the God of Baal. And when they took their bullock, and when they dressed that bullock upon the altar, and when they called upon the name of their deities and the name of Baal, what do we read that we did? Verse 27 came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked him and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he's talking or he's pursuing, or he's in a journey or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awaked. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. You have read that passage. Have you ever thought about what they did? They cut themselves after their manner, after the manner of the heathen, in association or connection with their deity, with their gods. There is one example. The same characteristic was known of the man who was demon-possessed. Legion was one who dwelt in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. This practice of having marks and prints on one's body has the origin in the worshipping of false gods. It was an indication of idolatry. And for the nation of Israel, they had one true and living God who had given his commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. There was to be no other God that would come between Israel and the face of the Lord God. That is literally how you could read that. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Is it not ironic that many of the tattoos that are on show these days have the resemblance of figures or, or images of people? I was sitting beside a man last evening. It was in a sacuzzi. And you can nearly need to get a magnifying glass out to find his actual original back. It was all covered. 
arms back the whole lot. Images of this, that, and the other. And that's just typical of many today. It starts off with one. But then it has to increase, you see. And those things that people want to have printed on their bodies are what in many cases could be looked upon as their idol. Something that they're well nigh worship. It might be a partner. It might be a flag. It might be an emblem. It might be a sports team. It might be a sports figure. Whatever it is. But for the child of God... This is something that's not needful indeed. It is warned against. Lest the image or the name or whatever it might be takes the place of God in our life and in our hearts. It's associated with idolatry. Think also the practice was initiating, imitating the heathen. The Lord was reminding them that this was what the Gentile nations engaged in. This was where they were going in the land of Canaan. Among the heathen tribes. The tribes that, that, that were idolatrous. This practice was known amongst them. And peoples that had inhabited the land of Canaan. Whose cup now of iniquity was now full. Because God was going to drive them out. And so to follow in the practice of cutting themselves or printing their bodies, it was aping what the heathen nations did. It was imitating their practices. Just as the previous verses warn against the practices of eating blood, Israel were not to do that. Why? Because that's what the heathen did. And using divination, you will find that in the verses in this chapter, and enchantments because the heathen consulted those things, and even to the point of trimming their beards in a round fashion. Why? Because the heathen, through superstition, did that. And so the warning is given of cutting and marking the flesh. People of God were not to do what the heathen did. The Lord God had separated them. They were to be a different nation whose God was their Lord. And is the same not true to this day? That's why, men and women, I, I, I took the opportunity to read Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, remember, Apostle Paul is writing to the people of God, by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Here he's dealing with your body, the temple. So it has a context. And he says, our bodies are to be a living sacrifice. They're to be holy. They're to be acceptable unto God. Verse 2, be not conformed to the world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're not to be a world conformer. We are to be a Christ transformer. God in salvation has liberated his people from the bondage of this world and from being slaves to its ways. Titus Little book of Titus chapter 2 verse 12. Verse 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying 
ungodliness, unworldly lusts. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Let's be concise. Is that not the reason why so many young people go and get these images and these markings and tattoo them on their flesh? Why? Because someone else has done it. Because someone else has done it. Be it a sports star, pop star, someone else of notoriety, and it's another case of imitating the world, not wanting to be different, not wanting to stand out from the crowd. And I'm not just hitting on the young people today. Adults are exactly the same. In many churches, the ladies no longer wear the head covering. Why? Because someone else doesn't do it. The minister's wife doesn't wear a hat, so why should I? We no longer carry the Bible. Why? Because he doesn't do it. The same mentality. Don't want to stand out. But something else, understand that this practice involved both the dead and the uh, death and the dead. The heathen cut themselves, they printed their bodies as an expression of sorrow for the dead. And these words are found even in the course of our text. Ye shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you. It was deemed a becoming mark of respect for the dead, as well as a sort of propitiatory offering to the deities who presided over death and over the grave. They did these things for the honor, for the good of the soul departed. It's no coincidence that it follows other practices that have to do with the dead, like the enchantments and the familiar spirits and the observers of times. These things which are abomination in the sight of the Lord. And Moses reminds them of this, as he does at a later date. If you turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 18, you will uh, see what I mean by that. Look at the words of verse 9. Deuteronomy chapter 18, the words of verse 9. Again, remember where Deuteronomy is. It's the nation of Israel, just about, just about to cross over the river Jordan. They're at the end of the 40 years now. And Deuteronomy is a little book that reminds them of God's law. That's why you'll find the commandments in the book of Deuteronomy as well as Exodus and all of the laws, and he's reminding them. This is what God has taught you. And the same here, verse 9. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abomination of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, because of these abominations, do you see it? The Lord thy God does drive them out from before thee. This is where their cup of iniquity is now full. And because of these things, they were driven out. 
I don't know why it's as popular as it used to be of looking at the stars. I don't mean standing out at night and looking up. That's good. But it shows you the handiwork of God. I'm talking about those idiots that put things about the stars in the newspapers. And your birthday is encapsulated within uh, some of those names. And you read that at the start of the day and then you uh, say, oh, that must be true. It happened. That's in those words there. Don't be dabbling with that rubbish. That really is enchantment. That's the uh, familiar spirit. That's a necromancer. That's witchcraft. It's presented as, as a little bit of fun, of course. But that's what it is. And God said, you're not to do those things. You see, they were reminded of their practices. And in summing up, the Scriptures exhort us not to learn the way of the heathen. You'll read that in Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 2. Don't learn the way of the heathen. And the tattoos of one's body is using today's terminology very much a practice of the heathen. Something which had not only a sinful nature to it, but also a very dark nature to it. And that's why the Lord, through Moses, reminds him of this. Let me show you the prohibition here. For the opening words of our text clearly indicate a command. That command is from the Lord. That they weren't to do these things that are mentioned and which we've already made a reference to. Ye shall not make any cuttings in your flesh. Ye shall not print any marks upon you. And what God expects from his people is obedience. If you love me, keep my commandments. The nation of Israel were not to engage in those practices of the heathen, and that for good reason. They were prohibited from making any appeal to the dead. We're backing up now of what I've already made reference to. The marks were to do with mourning and having honor shown to the dead. The marks were deemed a becoming mark of respect for the dead. Even some sort of offering unto false gods. They were supposed to preside over the dead and over death and the grave. However, throughout the scriptures, there's no warrant for the living to make an appeal unto those who have already gone from us. And men and women, have I want to impart some truth, one truth to your heart this morning is this. It's what the scriptures teach is how we should live. It's not what somebody else is doing. It's not even what another church is doing up the road. It's what the scriptures teach us. And there's no appeal in the scriptures. There's no warrant anywhere for the living to make an appeal unto those that have gone before. The, the, the seeking after the wizards and the, and the witches was defiling. It was an abomination before God. And there were those that purported to be able to make communication with the dead. Let me bring you to an example of that. You turn to 1 Samuel chapter 28. 1 Samuel chapter 28. We'll only need maybe to read one verse. You come there, you'll notice it's in the time of King Saul. Saul has lost his throne, really, in effect. 
Just that time where he will be replaced with David hasn't yet come. But it's near there. It's very near. Samuel, the great prophet, has died. And we read in this passage of how Saul sought a witch at Endor. Now they, they weren't permitted in the land. That's why she was located across the border, if you like, as we would say today, in a place called Endor. It was outside the parameters of Israel because they weren't permitted in Israel. But Saul, under disguise, goes to meet this witch at Endor. And his purpose in doing so is to get communication with the dead. And when that comes around, he's sitting before this witch. She, she doesn't recognize as yet that this is King Saul. We come to verse 14. You'll, well, maybe we'll back up to verse 11. And then, then said the woman, Whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, Bring me up Samuel. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. And the woman spake to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. She has lost control of the seance now. And the king said unto her, Be not afraid for what sawest thou? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw God's ascending out of the earth. And he said unto her, What form is he of? And she said, An old man cometh up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. Men and women, it's too late to pay honor and respect when the day is gone. You want to pay honor and respect that people do it when they're living. Do it when they're living. Samuel, Saul now bows down. And he sees Samuel coming up. It's a, it, it, it's, it, it's a passage, I have to admit, it's a passage where the, the good commentators are, are different on it. I hold the position, I personally hold the position that this is Samuel. This it literally is Samuel coming up. How do I? Why do I say that? Because of the next verse, verse fifteen, and Samuel said it. That's why I do. Now I'm different from Matthew Poole. Matthew Poole doesn't hold that line. Matthew Henry does hold that line. But I can't get around that. That says the scriptures, and Samuel said to Saul, Why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I'm sore distressed. Why did he want to seek communication with Samuel? I tell you why. Because God had forsaken him. And he goes on to say here that he, he had departed from him and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. He needed counsel. Oh, he missed Samuel. He missed Samuel. Because Samuel was God's prophet at the time. And Samuel said, verse 16, Wherefore then dost thou ask to me, saying, The Lord has departed from thee and has become thine enemy. And Samuel said, The witch is nowhere to be seen, really. She's there, but she's lost control of her seance. But there's an illustration there, is an example 
where there is purported communication even been sought for from the dead. There is to be no seeking communication from the dead. There is to be no praying for the dead. There is to be no paying for their release. You don't find that in the scriptures. When David's child, the Rebathsheba, was ill, he prayed. Turn over to 2 Samuel, this time 2 Samuel chapter 12. He was grieved sore. He fasted, he prayed. But when he found out that the servants were moving around him, very quietly he perceived that the child had now died. What happened? He ceased fasting. He ceased praying. He arose. He washed himself and shaved and changed his garments. He said, I go to him, but he shall not return to me. Verse 22, 2 Samuel 12, when he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he's dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return unto me. He didn't continue praying. There's no praying for the dead in the word of God. The prohibiting of these marks and prints on the body was along the same lines as these other things. They were not to be like the heathen and taken up with the dead. It was prohibited furthermore because there was to be no appeasement of deities. The marks were made with an idol of a false god in mind, giving allegiance to them. But while that was the practice of the heathen who worshipped many gods and even the elements were deities unto them, we read in some places, Jeremiah's and Ezekiel, that they worshipped the sun and the stars. Yet for Israel, they were taught that there was but one true and living God. It was Jehovah that brought them out of the land of Egypt. It was God that sustained them. It was God that provided for them along the wilderness way. And it was God that gave them the land of Canaan as their possession. And even the very heathen were aware of what the Lord had done for them. Remember the words of Rahab in Joshua chapter 2. In the words of verse 9. They've now crossed over. They're about to take Jericho, that is Israel is. And the spies go out. They find Rahab. She lived upon the wall, verse 9. She said unto the men, I know, I know, underline it, that the Lord has given you the land, and that your terror has fallen upon us, and that all inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard... We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sion and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath, beneath. There's the very heathen. And they knew who the Lord God of Israel was. They knew what he had accomplished and done for them. 
Israel were not to pay, pay allegiance to other deities and false gods of the heathen. For the Lord is a jealous God and he will not give his glory unto another. They were to serve him alone. And therefore, any cuttings or marks in their flesh was a sure sign of apostasy and that they had turned from the Lord God and they had turned unto the gods of the heathen. And while I am not equating tattoos primarily to false gods or to any sense of worship, although in some cases, as I've said to you, it may represent an idol to many people. Yet by the same token, the same sort of behavior will be the mark of the last days. You see, Revelation speaks of those who will have the mark of the beast. And he will deceive many. Revelation 13, verse 16. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now there's much fanciful interpretation of that. And I'm not going to proceed this morning to tell you what that mark will be. But what I will say is this. I believe it will be a mark that a child of God cannot receive. Cannot receive. But that Antichrist spirit is already at work, men and women. It's already at work. It is a sign that spells slavery. And finally, damnation. Chapter 14 of Revelation, chapter and verse 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. That's why the child of God cannot receive the mark of the beast. Because... A child of God will never be lost. They'll never be in hell. Oh, they may be backslidden. And you might be far off from the Lord where you should be this morning. But man or woman, young person, that doesn't mean you're going to go to hell. If you're truly born again, you're saved for time and praise God for all eternity. It's only the ungodly will receive the mark of the beast. Because it ends finally in their damnation. How the opposite, of course, is the case with those that follow Christ. For if, a ma- for if the Son shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Not bondage with Christ, there's freedom. I believe, you see, we can bring this prohibition into the New Testament. For God's people are prohibited from doing anything which hath an appearance of evil. First Thessalonians, again, uh, chapter 5, in the words of verse 22, abstain from all evil. No, it doesn't say that, you see. 
If it says that, you've got the wrong version. It says abstain from all appearance of evil. These things were evil in God's sight. The very reasons why God was judging the heathen nations in Canaan. And the Lord does not desire his people to be like the heathen. The New Testament exhortation is not merely to abstain from evil, but from the appearance of evil. Do you see some of those tattoos that walk by you? They're evil looking. Many of them are evil looking. Never mind what's the reason behind having them done. And I want to warn our young people, especially, but also parents alike, those who have been done years ago, in many cases in their unsaved days, you ask those adults today, they deeply regret that. There's always the consequences to sin. And there's now a shame in having those tattoos. And I know people that won't even wear a half-sleeve shirt because it unveils those things or a pair of shorts because it reveals to them what was something evil. It's a reminder of their unsaved days. It's a reminder of the old nature of being a child of disobedience and wrath, even as others. And in many cases they went against even the counsel of parents. And the problem is this, they can't get rid of them. They can't get rid of them. It takes expensive laser treatment, and even that treatment doesn't completely remove those tattoos. It leaves an ugly scar. Sin leaves scars, young people. Whether it's this or whatever the world follows after, young person... Older man or woman, middle-aged man or woman, abstain from all appearance of evil. Don't be afraid to be separate and to stand out from what the world is following. The prohibition is there. You see, I want to close today with the person of Christ. Because the closing words of our text was all that Israel needed to have. For the Lord having given his command, he says in verse 28, You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. And therein lies the authority behind this prohibition. It's Jehovah who commanded And in the incarnate I am, even the Lord Jesus Christ, we have one who has pacified death. It was Christ who took upon himself the form of a servant, the form of our nature, so that he might destroy the works of the devil. That is why he was manifested. The last enemy that would be destroyed was death. And so the Apostle Paul could pen those words even to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and the words of verse 10, he says, But it is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death, and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. If you abolish something, you put it away. It's put, out, it's put to naught. 
And Christ through his once for all sacrificial death on the cross of Calvary and rising again from the dead has conquered the last great enemy. And because he lives, then all who put their faith and trust in him shall live also. All things are subdued under him, even death for the child of God. And nothing. Not even death shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And if that is the case, then why would we want to have symbols of death on our body? Never forget that these bodies of ours are the temples of the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. That's something the church at Corinth had to be reminded about. Men and women, that's why I've entitled the message, Marking Your Body, Your Temple. It would be an ugly thing if there would be those from the town or somewhere else that would come and write graffiti on our church building. A place set apart for the worship of God. Well, don't you graffiti your temple either. Don't you pierce your temple either. We are to glorify God with our bodies. Christ also hath been propitious in his death. The truth is that while we cannot be propitious, we cannot turn away the wrath of God on behalf of any who have died, Christ has already done that. By dying the just for the unjust. He is the propitiation for our sins. He's turned away God's wrath. The heathen believed these marks were a means of showing their sorrow and being meritorious toward those who had deceased. But in the person of Christ we have one who has changed the whole nature and character of death for the child of God. It is now but the vestibule. That brings us immediately into heaven, into Christ's presence, which is far better. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. And in that sacrifice that Christ offered on the tree, he turned away God's wrath from all who will savingly rest in him. Just as in type, the nation of Israel would have known that the offering of the animal was the means of appeasement with the holy God. The blood was shed. And so in Christ we have the fulfillment of those types. We have a fulfillment of those shadows. And there is nothing that we can add to his death. In the person of Christ, we have one who has procured victory over death. For the believer can sing, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The Savior dying as a sinner's substitute has obtained the victory. He's defeated the devil and death and hell itself. And all who are in union with Christ are also victorious. For one day, if these bodies die first and be buried, they shall rise to meet the Lord first when he comes for his own. The believer has no need for these marks on their bodies. For we do not sorrow as others who have no hope. It's Christ who has died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Tell me, are you enjoying the victory?
victory that Christ has purchased for you. If so, then why will you desire to hanker after the world and its fleeting pleasures? Your desire will not be for markings. Your desire, child of God, will be for the Master. That's it. For Christ is everything we need. Maybe I'm preaching to someone this morning and you're not saved. You want a peace over dying? You want a peace in the knowledge that your sins are covered over? Then turn to the Savior by faith. Serve the flesh and the devil no longer. But serve Christ. Serve Christ. And leave this house this morning with the assurance that your name, your name is marked down in the Lamb's book of life. And listen, it can never be removed. Wonder will you come this morning? Young person, many temptations around you. Much pressure, I understand, to bear, to follow the crowd. And even adults. And you remember the text of Scripture. You remember God's exhortation. Not to mark your temple. But glorify God by it. May the Lord bless His word to our hearts this morning. For his own name's sake. 266 will sing in closing. I'll sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love to me. The cruel cross he suffered from the curse that set me free. I'll sing verses 1, 3, and 4. 266, page 283. Let's stand as we sing it.
Lord, we thank thee today for the one who died, the just for the unjust, the one who is our propitiation for our sins, the one who has paid it all, we might go free. Oh God, help us to sing well of our Redeemer. Help us to think well of him. Help us, Lord, to love thee more and to obey thy precepts and thy commandments. We pray, Lord, that thou would give even that protection to our young people from the onslaughts of peer pressure these days, parents as well. God, we pray that we might be a people that are only interested in what saith the Scriptures. Lord, hear our cry. Speak on, Lord, when the preacher's voice is silent. Speak to those yet not saved, that they might have a peace in the knowledge of sins forgiven even this morning. Answer prayer. Part us with thy blessing. Bring us back again tonight in thy will. We pray in our Savior's precious name. Amen.